0: Hey, welcome back to the Wee Maple video show. Today, we're here with John Kamajis. John's an autism coach who's unique, uniquely qualified to serve autism vocational needs. Okay, John has I- 20 years of experience with rehabilitation, counseling, 10 years of special education, and advanced training in autism spectrum disorder. As defined by Wikipedia, vocational re- rehabilitation, also abbreviated as VR, or voc rehab, is a process in which Enables a person with functional, psychological, developmental, cognitive, and emotional disabilities, impairments, and health disabilities to overcome barriers to accessing, maintaining, or returning employment or other useful occupations. John's here today to share about his story about living with Asperger's syndrome. We'll discuss autism, his work, and a new product uh, called Clickbook, which is an interactive. Video and writing experience to publish a book on Amazon within a hundred days, which John will be one of our first partners on ClickBook. John, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the We Maple Video Show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You're you're welcome. You're welcome, and thank you.
0: Yeah. So you're based down in Tucson, is that right?
1: Um, I'm retired in Tucson, and um, what I'm doing is uh, I'm I'm a um I'm a um I'm an advisor to a large uh medium-sized and fast and growing fast uh non called happy hwape out of uh out of Miami they uh they fund training programs uh, that get people jobs train them and get people jobs and um uh, also I'm a I'm an advisor to a project at Drexel University in Philadelphia. So pretty much what I'm doing is on the East Coast. Now, before I moved down, before I married my Arizona bride, I was in Northern California and I ran job clubs. I actually started the first online job clubs for high functioning, level one genius, some of them type autistics. Um, the term Asperger is out of date. Yes, I certainly qualify as an Asperger. I had no language delay, uh, and so I I did that for a total of ten years, six six years with three different job clubs. We met weekly, and uh, we had a phenomenal placement rate. Uh, pretty much everybody who got up got who came on a regular basis uh, got a job of some kind and um, I'm trained in vocational rehabilitation. I have a master's degree in vocational rehabilitation. Um, I was also a special ed teacher for about five years. And um, so, so about 10 years ago, I suspected I was on the spectrum when I was taking a class in, uh, to get my teaching credential, and discovered that I was similar but not identical to some of the definitions they use for special education, I'm old. Look at my gray hair, and um, I have learned to work around or worked past an awful lot of disabilities.
0: Yeah, and what so what I'm hearing, you know, you went, you know, five or almost six decades. Um, Undiagnosed. That's right. And uh, you know, I could imagine that you may have struggled a great deal throughout your life with undiagnosed Asperger's syndrome. Yeah.
1: Yes, that's that's very true. And I've done an awful lot of stuff that they hi- that people uh, highly recommend for people who are like me. Um, I did some acting in college and learned how to get the emotions out. Um, I took sensory motor integration. When I got all done, I could, I could remember a phone number long enough to cross the room and dial it. Couldn't do that before. I learned, I finally was able to learn touch typing. I never worked hard in my life, but I did for the C I got in typing in high school, never did learn the keyboard until I did sensory motor integration. Um, but like you say, this this was before I knew that I was on the spectrum. I knew I had ADHD, and I knew I had anxiety and depression a decade or two before that. So I've gone from I've gone from anxiety and depression to ADHD to um, uh, to autism, and um, seem to have survived it all. <laughs>
0: I mean, as if people aren't having a hard enough time, they have to call it Asperger's.
1: No, Asperger's is obsolete. Asperger's was in the DSM four. We're now in the DSM five.
0: Um, and so, what's as- the distinction between the DSM and then the way that, uh, like, like L one autism is is the DSM is that uh, rating scale for the Asperger's, and then is the L one rating scale is that for autism or what's the distinction there
1: okay the distinct okay first of all the dsm is the diagnostic and statistical manual used by the american psychological association and what it is it's, it's behavioral definitions of psychiatric or developmental disabilities okay so it's basically it's the definition and unfortunately, uh, the definitions—or ch- maybe I don't know. Anyway, the fort- the, de- the definitions change. And Asperger's was a thing from about 1990 through about oh, I don't remember, early 2000s, maybe 2000. I don't remember. It was 2002, 2008? They brought in the DSM-5, and Asperger's went away. It came, it went, it's gone. There's an awful lot of people who still call themselves Asperger's because that's how they were diagnosed. But uh, if you go to a good psychologist nowadays, they will either tell you you're on the autism spectrum, which now incorporates Asperger's or, or not. And uh, like I said, the definition changed. I qualify under both. So I'm, I'm now a modern, you know, DSM five version autistic and um and i certainly would have been a a, an asperger's under dsm-4
0: okay got it and so would um this sort of high functioning form of autism um so this would include people that were previously diagnosed with asperger's um and then uh with what i'm hearing individual those individuals with um an asd level one they may have difficulty in understanding things like um social cues or they may struggle in personal relationships. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes. It's a social cognition social communication problem. So you miss we we miss social cues. and it's a social cognition dis so we miss things and uh, we may not communicate in a way that's easily or happily received by neurotypicals by others. And uh, a lot of it is just plain delay. Uh, it takes us a while to figure out what somebody's saying, and we tend to think concretely, which is not always bad, but it gives us a different point of view.
0: Got that. And so, what was there a was there a, a turning point for you uh, specifically, John, where you were motivated or, or something prompted you to, to get diagnosed?
1: Huh, yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to join ASAN. I wanted to join the uh, Association for um, Autism Self-Advocates, and you had to have a diagnosis to get in. And um, and I really wanted to know more about it. I, I didn't really need another diagnosis for any practical reason. I just wanted to know, and I wanted to join the uh, the self-advocates, and I needed a diagnosis to do that. So I paid my $800 and went out and got a diagnosis. And um, uh, it was sobering. It it was, you know, not the happiest. It wasn't the worst day in my life, but it wasn't the happiest either. Um,
0: Well, I want to join the women's swim team, and that wasn't the happiest for my dad either. Growing up with Asperger's, John, what was one of the hardest obstacles that you had to overcome while you were in school?
1: uh you mean besides algebra
0: (laughs) that's hard for anyone like why are we learning this hey let's learn this one thing that you'll never use in life don't worry about the financial system or interest or banks or anything to do with a mortgage or love and relationships and values but algebra key right
1: right it kept me out of the university of california um and, and I did finally figure out how to do a quadratic equation when I was 50. Um, oh, God. I don't know. I knew I didn't get along well with people, and I wanted to learn how to do it. So I've spent my whole life doing that. And, um, you know, if I can do the same old thing or I can do stuff I'm used to, especially if I can do it with people I'm used to, I'm just fine. You throw me in a new situation, and gee, it gets rough and uh you know i might screw up or or something um and that doesn't sound like it's terrible terrible except for one one key concept um michelle darcia winner the the special the uh speech and language therapist who does all the training for uh for, for social skills um she re- she talks about the high functioning folks, the ones you can't tell, you know, the ones who are not real obvious, the ones who can pass for neurotypical. She calls them the unforgiven because you because some of us, and I'm certainly in this category, will do some god awful social faux uh, pas, make some terrible social blunder, and never be forgiven, never, and. Um, I'll give an example. When I was going through the the, grad, the, uh, the master's program, and by the way, voc rehab is a two-year degree, and, uh, like similar to, uh, to physical therapists or occupational therapists. Now, this is not a little quickie one, one-year education master's. This is a serious professional degree. Um, uh, I was mentored by somebody and i really didn't like the job he did and we and um and i had to do some stuff over and i had nothing to do with him and basically burned my bridges and uh here we are um, well let's see 90 30 years later and those bridges are still burned Uh i've tried to to patch up some of that relationship, and the answer was no. Uh, so unforgiven, and um, the folks who are more involved, who are more, you know, show it, people get will cut them some slack. They'll they'll be a little more forgiving. Uh, but if you're highly intelligent, very verbal, and uh, make a god awful social mistake, uh, you may not be forgiven, and. It, it, vocationally this has got some serious
0: implications yeah i got that what a what a classic just human being thing right get drunk at the family christmas party and insult aunt lucy's uh three marriages and you know and then you're no longer invited to the dinner so you know that 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 uh thing that we have as human beings to um outcast people or to uh make up a story about them in that moment. And, uh, you know, that, that, that transcends just what you're discussing in the, in the autism scale. I mean, that happens, happens all the time. And, you know, I'm really uh, curious to learn more about your book and your story, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that. And and maybe before that though, you know, you and I have a level of relatedness, uh, yeah. both being in the, uh, you know, technology for accomplishment through, uh, in the, um, landmark program. And, um, you know, I think it'd be a, an interesting place to start because, you know, signing up for a year long training and development program for leadership and communication and, um you know, that's nuts um to do on a on a good day, let alone someone, you know, acknowledge your age and then also your, you know, new diagnosed what could can be considered a disability or also like rock star, you know, good at particular things beyond what ordinary human potential can reach, you know, the the, what I understand about certain parts of being on the scale that you're on, you know, you do unlock some superpowers uh, for focus and ability to solve problems and these types And we'll, we'll talk more about that. But I am curious, with with your age and with your diagnosis, what prompted you to say, yeah, I do want to sign up for what's known as one of the most Elite and profound leadership and development programs on Earth.
1: You mean, you, you mean landmark training, development, and leadership?
0: Team management and leadership program, yeah.
1: Oh, team management development leadership. Team TMLP, Team Management Leadership Program. Yeah, okay. Um I I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly why what why I joined. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And uh what I wanted to do was um i'm i like i said i ran these job clubs for six years 10 years total experience and um i wanted to take them national and i wanted to take them national for a couple of reasons one is because the people i was reaching were pretty much not able to to qualify for this services from the uh, department of rehabilitation down here in the in the lower 48 down here in the united states And they, because they were too intelligent, you know, they're college grads and, um, you know, where's the disability. And uh, I told you what the disability, the disability is social. It's, you know, you're, you're an outcast, you're ostracized. We don't want to talk to you. You're weird. Go away. And so they were not getting services. I wanted to serve that program, that population. And I wanted to do it in a way that was low impact Meaning, little bit. Meaning, not intensive. You know, a weekend intensive where you you learn a hundred thousand facts in an hour. I wanted something where you could you could learn it slowly. I wanted something over time, and I wanted something ongoing. And the job club I ran in Sacramento lasted for six years until I moved away. The one in San, that I started in San Francisco is going strong. It meets every sun, every Monday night at 7 p.m. Pacific through ASCEND, A, A-A-S-C-E-N-D. And it's run by a lovely fellow by the name of Keith Halperin. So it's ongoing, it's low, low impact, and it reaches this population that was not otherwise being served. And that's why I joined team because I wanted to take the, the job clubs national. And this week I started a new job club, um, East Coast time. Okay, New York, Miami. Uh, don't ask me about the maritime provinces. I know they have their own time zone. So probably the same one as Ontario and Quebec. And uh, that's, that's, and I did it because I did not know how to lead a team. I'd done management once before. I was a manager for about two years. I was self-employed for, I don't know, five or 10 years, depending on how you think about it. And, um, and I never really supervised more than about six people. And I wanted to learn how to do it. So I joined TMLP. I knew exactly what I was doing. I'm happy with it, very happy. Uh, the only thing, the only other thing I can compare it to is years ago, I took Dale Carnegie and learned how to be positive. And uh, that was useful. And Landmark is terribly useful, very useful. And uh, some of the social skills training programs really opened my eyes i mean i've got a whole lifetime and never learned some of the basics one of the one of the things about people on the spectrum is we have blind spots as big as a barn door and uh i me too i i had some big ones and uh was kind of astonished to learn that they were there and how to get around it
0: and through um through that participation uh on team and and your your way to expand the the programming uh nationally uh could you speak to some of the tools or distinctions that you've learned in landmark that have helped you uh do you have a specific example
1: oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah the biggest thing is how to get off it the biggest thing is i would get mad and stay mad you know, it wasn't just everybody else was mad at me. I was mad at them. And um, the biggest thing was just to uh, oh, clear your mind and come back and then talk to people instead of getting mad. And uh, to um, to really, really, really listen. Um, I got a twin brother, who um, we're identical twins. We're mirror twins. We're more identical than identical. And uh, we are absolute polar opposites when it comes to uh, uh, politics and probably religion. And I mean to tell you, I didn't talk to him for 10 years. Uh, That was a long time ago, but it was just, it was ugly. And um, I learned how to get along with him. And I, pardon me if I get a little emotional, it's uh, having a twin is like closer than having a wife. I mean, it's amazing how close it is. And if you can imagine having a God awful, terrible relationship with, you know, your twin and I, and it's not just me. I know other twins, you know, have, the two of them haven't talked in years and, um, and I, and we're sweet as can be now where we get along great. It's been a year and a half or, maybe almost two years and, and we're right as rain and he can talk to me about his, you know, regressive, horrible, uh, politics. And I don't bat an eyelid. And it doesn't bother me. And,
0: um, it wasn't always like that. And, what um, a gift for families. And, you know, we were talk- touching on that earlier around the way that you were, um, treated or whatever had, had went on in that situation and you know here's yet another example of um you know really taking responsibility right whether it, and and to remove the right or wrong or trying to be right or make the other person wrong and stand in what's actually important stand in the commitment that you have and the love that you have for yeah. your twin brother and the and the way you express what a what a what a what a paradox hey like you're exactly the same and yet you the way you describe you're exactly different at the same time yeah exactly
1: and and that's exactly right and what he, he does these things kind of biblically what he told when he took the communication courses which came right after the basic course and that's where we really cemented our our new kind of relationship he said it was a crash course in forgiveness and, um, excuse me, I do get emotional. Um, he, uh, anyway, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it. And uh, and it's really, really helped a lot. And uh, anyway, so I joined TML. I joined this, this management leadership program so I could learn how to lead and manage. And uh, gee whiz, kids, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> it's
0: <laughs> happening. Uh, Jesus kids I'm doing it. I love it John Cummings. That is that is inspiring. I I mean I I again it's inspiring just and not to be from a place of ageism but like it takes something to put 10 to 20 hours of your life into something that's not like you're not being we're not we have, we're both in the program but you are not being paid in any way like it's 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 a pretty tremendous uh, commitment that you've made not just for your own growth, but you know, you have this social issue that you want to address. You have this deeper desire and passion in your life of something you want to achieve. Uh, before we talk about your book, do you have any, um, insights as to where you got that sort of unwavering, want to make a difference kind of passion? Where did that generate from?
1: Oh, I, I was badly mistreated. And, um, I had the bad luck to, uh, to get into a doctoral program a year before Asperger's made the books. And, uh, I was singled out. I was, uh, I was called weird by a major professor. I was ostracized by the other doctoral students when I, when I objected and, and just told the professor, if you don't back off, I'm going to make a paper trail. And so after that, they, then I was shunned and, um, and it was because I had no protection. Uh, we, I was not, uh, like I said, it was before Asperger's even was invented or before it, it was made official. And um, I don't think it would happen now. But I know there's an awful lot of people who do not want to identify themselves as having a disability because, they may, well, they don't want to. And, um, and I want to, I want to do something for the others like me. So they don't have to do they don't have to live the with some of the difficulties I've had to live with. And. Um, no. Yeah, well, that's why. And uh, I, I'm now doing it not from a place of anger and revenge. And I'm right. And you're wrong. And I can cite all kinds of wonderful articles of proving that I, by God, I am right. But uh, I don't do that now. I I try to come from a a place with a more open heart and an open mind. And it makes all the difference in the world. You know, because who the heck wants to be around somebody who's right? Uh, It just doesn't work.
0: Love that. You know, we have a really impressive uh, researcher here on our team that uh, came up with this term that I've been reading about falling off the cliff this expression uh, that's used when autistic individuals reach an age where they're no longer guaranteed services, I guess is the simplest way to summarize that. But the way that I'm understanding it is that there's government supports or whatever programs that are in place for a certain age. And then this falling off a cliff is sort of like, well, you're in your early twenties now. See you later. Good luck in life. And um, oftentimes this vocational support and this, these other uh, disability support—they're um, not in place for for people once they cross that cross that age range. Is is that the right way to understand the term "falling off a cliff"?
1: Almost, almost. When you're in the education system down here, when you're in the educational system, you have all kinds of rights to education, and the education includes school to work transition, and that lasts to age twenty two. And after age 22, you no longer are guaranteed, uh, you no longer have a right to services. After 22, you have to qualify. So if you need help with housing, you have to qualify. If you need help with vocational rehabilitation, you really have to be able to work. Because nobody's going to train you to work if you can't work. And nobody's going to train you to work if you don't want to work. And nobody's going to train you to work if you don't know what you need to work. Or, and, and when you go in for vocational rehabilitation, the first thing they ask is, what is your disability? What do you need from us? And, and can you work? And if you say, gee, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, they'll say, thanks very much. Um, you know, they might send you out for an assessment and they might say, well, come back when you do know. And, um, and the question, and so do you qualify? And like I said, an awful lot of highly intelligent people don't qualify because they're not, because the kind, all right, my personal John Cummidge's point of view is that autism in general is radically, the, the amount of, the extent of the disability is radically underestimated. Autistics are 85, have 85% unemployment, okay? Now, everybody knows about the ones who are, you know, idiot geniuses. Everybody knows about the rain man types who um, are close to being uh, intellectually disabled. And 30% are intellectually disabled any way you cut it. And 40% are if you if you go by a verbal IQ. That means 60% are not disabled and most of those will have an, av- an average or better IQ. Okay, and they're not working. They're not getting services. They're more less less likely to be to receive services than any other disability race any other disability group. The disability, uh, the uh, the amount of people using the services and the success rate for vocational services is just abysmal. It's just terrible. And what happens is, you graduate from high school, you get a job, you keep it for you know. I don't know how long, not long. And then you end up on the couch playing video games. And I, what I get is I get parents who, you know, whose kid is 30 or 40 years old. He's never, he's worked maybe six months or a year and he's, and, and they say, gee, what can we do now? And, or, or worse yet, I get people who've never learned to work. They never learn to work. They never learn to be responsible because somebody said, oh, that's difficult for you here. Let me help you with that. Instead of, you know, here's the job. Get it done and let me know when you're done and and being held to a standard. Um, Temple Grandin says the first thing you do with uh, anybody on the spectrum, is you should make sure they learn how to work. I can't improve on that. Make sure you learn how to work. Uh, my My father came off a wheat ranch. My mother came off a cattle ranch. I was raised up in town. I could outwork anybody in my town, Uh, but I couldn't outwork the the country boys. I I couldn't. Uh, They knew how to work more than me, a lot more than me. But uh, the city kids, I could outwork them all. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Yes, I had a paper route. Uh, You can't do that anymore. Paper newspapers have pretty much gone away, and the, the 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 opportunity for young kids to work is is way limited, very much more limited than when I was younger. And uh, if I was going to tell anything to a parent, it's make sure your kid is accountable and knows learn and learns how to work.
0: Would you say you mentioned Temple Grandin? Would you say that Temple Grandin is considered um, one of the most known? experts in the space She's
1: our patron saint (laughs) she's our patron saint she's 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 our spokesperson now she doesn't get it all right i mean i i have very little uh visualization i i learned how to visualize uh, i process stuff uh, auditorily i sort you know alphabets and sounds and words by the sound of it and um I finally learned how to visualize things like she does, or, or at least at all, by, uh, by visualizing that, uh, uh, by hearing a drippy faucet. And if I heard the drippy faucet, I got, I got to where I could see the, vi- the drippy faucet, but I had to start with the sound. So it's not all perfect. She doesn't speak for absolutely everybody. Her first book was about, you know, thinking in pictures. Not everybody does that. There's wild, wild individual differences. And if I was going to get anything out in this in this talk, the second part would be we're different. Every one of us, way, 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 way different.
0: Yeah, got that. And it's, it's, um, the, 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 they use that word spectrum that there's so many different kinds. Uh, there's someone close to me in my world who, um, uh, similar uh, you know four decades of life nearly and is confronted with the idea that he might be somewhere on the scale and um you know you just think like when you're in school you just think like you're called weird or whatever and then you know god bless these kids that are maybe undiagnosed very slow on the spectrum enough that makes them a little bit socially inept or awkward or you know they say the wrong thing or they say nothing and then they're treated in a particular way, and they go through life just thinking there's, you know, th- that little inkling that something's wrong with them, but not knowing necessarily what it is. Right. And then later in life, you, um, oh wow, I really have a thing, uh, you know, and and but ultimately, what can we do, right? Like the there's not really a treatment. So even if you at least you'd know, but you wouldn't really be able to necessarily treat it per se, would you or Well,
1: yes and no. Um, There are things that really help. And the trick is that the assessment, learning the diagnosis really doesn't help much. It's too general. It's too general. Autism is too broad. It's too deep. It's too different. Um, And what you can do is figure out what do you need. And uh, for instance, uh, I told you when I took, I was, I was reviewing so, a social skills class, uh, you know, one of these week by week training programs. And my God, there was stuff in there. I didn't know. Um, one was, uh, was done by uh professor Mer- Mary Baker uh, Erickson. And I, for the life of me I can't remember. She's in Southern California. I don't remember which university. Um, if you have a website, I'll, I'll, get the spelling of her name, which is unusual, and, uh, and and tell you where she is and what the name of that was. But the, the point was that I they had a section on social on social communication, conversational repair, like what happens when you make a mistake? And here's how you fix it. Wow, that was great. Another one was they had a whole thing on why you don't stare. Well, I used to stare at people and didn't think much about it one way or the other. And I guess I was making people terribly uncomfortable for years. And, uh, like I said, we got blind spots and I just, I mean, I'd heard about it, you know, don't stare people. Okay, fine. And I, it just didn't connect. And, um, you know, I learned that when I was 50 or 60 and, uh, and, and let everybody else talk in a meeting. Um, you know, before you speak, you know, let everyone else in the whole meeting talk before you repeat, you, you talk again, you know, don't dominate things. And uh, gee whiz, you would think I would have learned that somewhere along the line, but you know, gee, I had stuff to say. I was all excited. I knew I was right. And, uh, so anyway, I, somehow or other, I I'm still learning and, uh, ah, uh, it's a lifelong process. I'm, You know, I don't walk
0: on my toes anymore. I don't look weird. Uh, The social cues you're mentioning, there's um, a group here in Calgary that they have uh, youth that have been impacted by trauma in a facility um, where they live uh, in kind of a group home uh, situation. But they built a skateboard park uh, at the facility because in skateboarding these these high functioning some autistic but some learning disability some trauma it's a mix of mental health youth oh, yeah. but they um they did a study on how the youth behave in this uh, particular atmosphere because you know you're talking about these social cues and one thing with skateboarding as an example is you know it's one person per obstacle at a time and so you just by nature you learn oh it's my turn versus with something like soccer these youth if you throw them out to play soccer they there's it's like everyone's chasing the ball and and they miss being able to learn about taking your turn and so anyway this this place here in Calgary they did a year-long study on the impact of teaching social cues and then another thing is the rumbling uh feeling of the board under your feet and these things that help with the um not uh the way that the brain stem connects to the spine that just the physical uh feeling helps calm and so even you know when we started this podcast and there was some excitement around the nature of the technology is like when you're in an excited state it affects your way for your neofrontal cortex to think and so Anyways, you know, there's all these advancements that are happening in the world to, you know, support not just youth, but us as adults and so, you know, I'm really curious to to learn about your book and your mission to um empower the these groups with their with their job clubs and so could you just maybe start off John by giving us a general overview? What's your book about and who's it for?
1: Okay. The um the book is uh, actually it's it's two books and i'm not sure uh, i'm not sure if it's going to be two two short books or one long book but there's two sections one is how to start a job club you know you find a place to meet and you get people to run it and what kind of people and then you invite people and where do you get the ones you invite like that and the other section is what do you do once you got them there which is basically vocational services, okay? And my model is that you have an autism expert and a vocational expert. Now, I happen to be both, okay? But I'm very unusual. Uh, in fact, I, I don't know anybody who's, uh, who's a CR, I know one or two CRCs, one or two certified rehab counselors who are on the spectrum, but they're working for state agencies. And I don't know anybody who's got a, anyway, so you, so you're, it's, it's social, it's how to do vocational services for people on the spectrum. And the problem is that the autism experts pretty much don't know vocational, don't have vocational expertise, and the vocational experts pretty much don't know autism. And and especially not with the level ones, especially not with the people who just need support, don't need uh, moderate or, or 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 extensive supports. There's all kinds of stuff for people who need moderate level of supports. Uh and and uh, Wayland, Professor Wayland from Virginia Commonwealth, has done amazing good work. But uh, those people are a whole lot more impacted and a lot more disabled than the ones I'm targeting.
0: And, and so this book, this guidebook, will this be used to empower people to do uh, and create w- what you've created with the job clubs? Or is the book for the people that are actually uh, like going into the workforce or, or dual? Oh, both,
1: both. Both The section on vocational services. I'm What I'm what I'm targeting is I'm targeting the parents. I'm targeting employers. I'm targeting autism experts and I'm targeting vocational experts, and I'm targeting the people on the spectrum. And so basically, I walk them through the vocational rehabilitation process. Okay, how do you determine the disability? What does that look like? How do you know what kind of a disability? Where? What kind of jobs does it affect? How do you get a good job match? How do you know if the job you're working for, you're looking for, is 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 appropriate? Is it a good match or not? Then once you do that, it's get ready for the job. That's pretty straightforward. You know, you practice interviews, you network, that sort of thing. And then when you, it comes time to get on to to go and and onboard, they call it. When it comes time to get the job and stay on the job, you're going to need supports. You're going to need people on. You're going to need peer support. Uh, people who can tell you, hey, John, there's a meeting in twenty minutes. Or gee, did you understand what the boss just said? And maybe people, uh, mentors, uh, and people above a, a level or two in the organization above you, who can kind of look out for you and make sure you don't get uh, sidelined or 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 sidetracked, so you you don't get the support you need. And. Um, I don't know. Did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, thanks, John. And, um, you know, we have a mutual friend, Elizabeth Davis. And Liz introduced the idea uh, to you, I believe, around participating in our interactive program uh, to get this book published on Amazon within 100 days. What was it that stood out to you about that invitation? And how do you think that that's going to help you? Well,
1: the way she explained it to me was that it basically was you're going to have some kind of a program to help boomers like myself who don't know, I am a baby boomer, uh, right in the middle of it, uh, who don't know all this technology and um, that you could, we could use the technology to help us write the book. And uh, for a fact, I have, I have used Chat GPT. Uh, for organizational stuff, uh, what I'm doing is is cutting edge. It's way out there. There's not much online about what I do, and I'm I'm an I'm I'm what you call blue 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 open open ocean blue ocean. I don't know. I'm I'm doing stuff nobody's done before. Okay, I mean I started these job clubs, and I'm I'm way the heck out there. I don't have any landmarks to go by. And so I can't just Google something and have you know the magic answer and jump right out at me. Um, but I sure could use some help in getting the stuff organized. And um, I learned oh the simplest kind of things. I learned how to use the dictaphone. I, I don't I know there's more modern terms, but there's some kind of a speech transcriber on uh, MS Word. And if I use that and just talk what I want, then um, I can write twice as much in a day as I could without it, and that's because I type at about 20 words a minute, and, uh, and I read more slowly than anybody in my special ed classes, okay? I mean, I, I'm work, I'm, I've got some things, I've got some challenges I'm overcoming here. And uh, Liz told me about this, and I got all excited and thought, "Gee, this is really great! How can I get in on this?" And and that's one of the reasons why I'm here.
0: That's excellent, and that's exciting for us too because uh, there's another uh, friend of ours of of business on Cameron, we Maple Alberta-based friend who's uh, having and hosting the uh, first um, World Autism Summit uh, on September the 25th. Uh, with a uh, keynote uh from Dr Temple Grandin. I believe she's a doctor. Forgive me if I got those yeah, minutes, no she is. she is and, and she's uh, right. it's like having Eric Clapton play at Coachella, right like she's she's she, the rock star of 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 this space. so um where I'm I'm really excited to have connected with you, John is um having uh over the next 30 days, uh, a baseline experience that that you've been able to experiment with some of the call it processes that we're designing to um, support and not just support people with which have autism that you know this this program will be for anyone who wants to write a book of any age of it can be overwhelming and the idea of handwriting 50 or sixty thousand words is daunting um, so anyways that time um, is
1: even worse.
0: <laughs> yeah, I and, you know, it's it's already the end of August, and by the time that this episode goes live, uh, we'll be getting closer to this um, summit. But what I wanted to invite you to consider yeah. um, would be that over the next week or two, we work together on a real crafty, trendy intuitive and intelligent presentation and you could be a guest speaker at the World Autism Summit in one of the slots following Dr. Temple Grandin where you would describe your work um, that you've been doing in the space with the clubs and then you would talk a little bit about your book that's coming out uh, with this tool and so knowing as little as you know is that a possibility that you'd be open to and interested in
1: yes certainly i i'm not sure you can get me in for this year but you could certainly polish something up and present it and get in next year
0: well and, um, if you know who i know then oh, do this we're gonna, we're gonna think i'm in i'm happen. in so Um, Thank you for accepting the invitation, and uh, there's going to be a lot of work for you and I between now and September the 25th to get you ready. Um, Well, you know, I speak, there's always that shred of possibility that doesn't work out this year, but I'm going to stick with the optimism that this is going to fly. And assuming that it is, we're going to have some work to do. Uh, I think it's a 10 to 15 minute slot, and then we'll carve out a, a series of slides and support you in generating slides on the work uh, for the clubs and your vision for the book. And then we'll talk about the AI and the other tools you mentioned the, the transcribed. Um, yeah, you know, this is a way for people to have fun in a hundred days. That's not painful. Write their book in a fun way and get it on Amazon in a hundred days. So um, thank you for the for the invitation. Uh, as we kind of near our uh, end of our discussion for for today, and, and we like I say we'll we will be chatting a lot more in the coming weeks. But okay. what do you think? Um, what do you think needs to change in the system to better accommodate people with autism?
1: Okay. Um, two things. One is um, one is everything you know is wrong. Not everything you know is wrong. It's autism is not what you think because if you think by the definition, you're going to miss it. It's pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Um, and what you think and what you believe may be totally wrong. Um, I know a woman whose whose son. She didn't think he could do math at all. She sent he he sent she sent him out to some people who really knew how to work with autistics and he skipped high school. He's now working on a doctorate in uh, some kind of astrophysics. And he's a genius at this stuff. And she didn't think he could do it at all. So, so give up your preconceived notions. And the other thing is, it's a lot more disabling than you think. The fellow who's working on his doctorate, he has trouble ordering a pizza. If he's going to go someplace new, He like me, he goes there first the day before, just so he knows he'll get there on time when he needs to be somewhere. Uh, So there's, you know, it's, it's a lot more disabling than people think. And it's way, way, way more individualized. So, uh, so I guess that would be, that would be what I, where I'd start is, is forget this, you know, we're going to put you all in one big group and, teach y'all at the same time in the same way and the same rate that that's
0: not going to work yeah i look forward to another conversation on how artificial intelligence is going to support that individual um you know program design because the and and not just how it's going to impact the world of autism but these tools are so profound this wave of technology is is so intelligent beyond what we can even describe with language it's so the Ah. the the wave that's coming is it's gonna people are you know if you're good at math you're going to become better at math than the greatest mathematician in a shorter span of time if you're if you're good at art you're going to be you know it's just going to have such a profound impact on humanity and uh, this first sort of step into seeing the impact of AI and in writing a book in a hundred days is is our I, first experiment. Now,
1: I can give you an example. I'm a senior advisor to Happy, uh, helping adults on the autism spectrum perform and excel out of Miami. And we were trying to we we're develop what they did what Happy does is they fund training programs for people on the spectrum and help them get jobs. And we were trying to figure out some some way of saying something that would had some impact. And somebody ran it through Chat GPT. And we came up with something that was so simple and so clear. And we never would have thought of it. Gee, we're all amazed. Thought, wow, this is great. And uh, so that's a way. That's a way is is to use the chat GPT or the artificial intelligence, which chat GPT is, as a way to kind of check your work and, and, and make it easy for people especially if you're using professional jargon and you have to talk to mere mortals that don't know what all the the weird language you're using means.
0: Uh, Love that. Well, from one mere mortal to another, John, thank you so much for coming on our episode today and really look forward to what we're going to create in the next month and beyond.
1: All right. I look forward to it. Thank you very much, Matt.
0: God bless. Peace.